slow down, flip us over, and celebrate. The Turn Turtles are here. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Turn Turtles Board Gaming Podcast. We are excited to have you here this week on the table. What do we have, Adam? We have Turn Turtles Masterpiece Theatre, where we will be talking very calmly and not ser- uh, yeah, seriously about... That is not... Uh, <laughs> on the table. Uh, what are we talking about again? We're talking about... <laughs> I'm forgetting which mechanic it is. We're talking New about contracts. reading of Taming That's of the, the one. <laughs> We're talking about contracts in our weeks. And we're talking about that's about it, I think. But it's very nice. That was really unclear. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. This is a messy one. Meech, how's it going? It's okay. Good morning. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Hi. All right. Let's just jump right into our weeks. Yeah, I love it. I'll start with my non-board gaming news. I lost a filling, and I can't get it filled. (laughs) For two more days, and it is so painful. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's not good. It hurts Why'd a lot. you do it? I don't know. I was eating lasagna, so it wasn't even a, a, a hard food or anything. But that, is that was going to be my first question. Were you eating like uh, gummy bears or something? No, nothing crazy. Caramel apple. No. Just Literally lasagna. right before this. But before this episode, I took one of the fruit snacks packages that my mom had left one of my kids, and I devoured the entire oh, thing in a fell swoop. Fruit snacks nice. are the best. Like all nine at once, and my feelings <laughs> are fine. Oh, what, what a and waste. you counted them as you went. So, no, I'm guessing. If you can't feel the air touching your nerves, then you're <laughs> probably okay. <laughs> oh. Meet, do you have any non-board gaming news, or do you want to just jump right into the board games? Meech, how about no you jump idea. right into the board games? Okay, hi everyone. I'm starting off. We're going to start off with the game that everyone was most excited for, which was Betrayal at House on the Hill 3rd Edition. Okay, so... What happened was Matt put a picture on our chat of finding it in the States. And then I looked at all the Canadian stores everywhere and it wasn't there. And then it was on Amazon. And usually I don't buy games from Amazon, but I did. And I got it and we played it. Uh, Okay. So for those of you who don't know, Betrayal at House on the Hill is a game where you are a group of adventurers exploring a house that is allegedly haunted. Um, so the essential mechanics of the game are you each have four stats. You have speed, might, knowledge, and sanity. sanity. And you may move every turn as many spaces as you have speed. So if you have four speed, you can move four spaces. Each space is a room in the house. Um, but to start, you can only see the upper landing of the house the main lobby, which is three spaces wide and has a staircase, and the basement landing, which you can't get to right off the bat. Um, And then there's a bunch of doors you can walk through. So as soon as you walk through a door, 
you take a tile from the stack that matches the floor of the house you're on, you flip it, and you go in that room, and you do a whole bunch of crazy stuff that it tells you to do. At a certain point in the game, um, what's called the haunt is triggered. One person is revealed as a traitor, or maybe not, but usually. Um, And they have a separate set of rules from everyone else, and it becomes a one versus all game. Uh, Yeah, where most of the time, they're... The one person is trying to eliminate everybody and everybody else is trying to fulfill some objective um, that usually is loosely horror themed. To start off, I want to say that I hate horror. I have no (laughs) desire to ever do anything horror or zombies or anything, but this game is excellent (laughs) and you should play it. Okay, so third edition. So I have second edition and the expansion for second edition. Me too. In the board game community the reaction to second edition is very much varied the game is not very balanced and what i mean by that is once you hit the haunt a lot of the time it's very obvious immediately whether the trader is going to win or the players are going to win um just because it's with a game like this where it's there's so many different scenarios it's very hard to make sure it's equally balanced and fair for all mm-hmm So that is a big knock against it in the board game community, but we've always loved it because we love storytelling games and we approach it as just a fun storytelling game, not a I'm going to win by logic type of game. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to third edition. So what they did with third edition is they took the game and all the basics are identical, but they made new characters for you to play and they made 50 brand new scenarios Um, And they tweaked a couple mechanical things um, to make it a little more predictable and a little more streamlined, I'll say. Um, It's hard to explain without going into the nitty gritty. Suffice it to say, we played it twice, Daryl, Matt, and I. And we found it more more gamey than the second edition, so it felt more even. Now, whether that's just the two scenarios we did or not, we don't know yet, but from the two scenarios we played, it it felt much more balanced. It felt much more quick, I would say, and snappy. Um, a little less story-driven, but all in all, I think I loved it, but I also, because of those things, don't think it replaces second edition, which is interesting because it's a re-implementation of the same game. Right. I thought that they did a great job of streamlining it and making it more simple. So when in second edition, when the haunt roll would happen to see if the haunt happened, you had to count up how many omen cards there were on the table, and then you had to roll that many dice. And if you rolled over a certain thing, then the haunt happened? Or is that third edition I'm talking about? So it gets confusing because second edition had one mechanic and then legacy had another one. So I think in second it was, you had to roll less than the number of Omen cards on the table, but you rolled five dice. Whereas in the newer edition, they made it. So you rolled one dice per Omen card. So it just, yeah. It, It makes it a lot easier to understand what to do and when the haunt happens. But also what I really liked about it is, some of the event cards will make you do a haunt roll too. So you're not yeah. only rolling after the omen cards, which is really fun because you could trigger oh, yeah. the haunt with an event card now, which is, it was really cool. 
So if I could go off that on a tangent, that's a really cool yes. thing they changed. So in the in the previous games, in the rule book, there's what it's basically a matrix. So it's a giant grid. Um, and through the game, you're getting these omen cards. If you rolled and the haunt activated, you would look at the room you're in and you'd look at the omen card that you drew while you're in that room. And you would find the number on the grid and that would tell you which haunt you were doing. So it would give you a number and you'd look it up in the rule book. In this new game instead, there's, I think, six or five different scenario cards all themed differently. So there was one that was... Um, paranormal activity. Paranormal. Yeah, we did a paranormal activity and then we did Mysterious Invitation. And so they all, instead of having this one big matrix, each card has a small matrix. And so what it does is it makes it so that you kind of know the theme of the haunt going in, but then you could roll those event cards, which I think is really rare, but that totally throws a haunt out of left field and there's special ones in a certain part of the book. Which oh, cool. It's kind that. of cool doing that because in the original game, you had no idea what the theme was, whereas this, you mm-hmm. go in knowing you're you're searching for ghosts or whatever right off the hop, which is really fun, I think. I thought that was cool, too. Because if you have friends that don't really care for paranormal activity, then you can just pick a different one, like for sale. And yeah, or like the mysterious, the mysterious invitation. Daryl commented made it really feel like Clue, which was kind of fun. Oh yeah, like just yeah, that that thematic, going through a house, trying to find a murderer. Like I don't know, it was fun. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't call it less story driven because you're still in there f- for the story, and you're like. The story really pulls you through the game. I would find that the two that we played were a lot less zany. So they're like not crazy wacky. Again, like you said, it could be just the two that we played. Who knows? We'll play more. Yeah. It's but the reason we're saying it like this after only two plays is when you play second edition, every single one is zany and weird. Yeah. Like there hasn't been a boring one or not boring. That's the wrong word. But right. mundane, I don't know. Yeah, I think I played one that was lackluster in second edition, but the rest were hilarious and crazy. Yeah. The only other thing I think I'm going to say for now um, is, so the room tiles in the in the second edition, they're mm-hmm. really good, heavy, thick cardboard. Third edition, they're not as good quality. Um, and the only reason I'm saying that is because I know a lot of board game companies are trying to cut costs and be quote unquote more eco-friendly and i think this was one of the eco-friendly things because all the decks were wrapped in paper instead of plastic and there's no baggies that came with the game which is very frustrating for a game that comes with a ridiculous amount of tokens and the cardboard is thinner so when you have all the room tiles in a stack they don't stay in a stack because they're they're too flimsy and they just don't stay in a stack which is they accordion everywhere yeah it sounds like a minor thing but it's just kind of annoying when you spend 60 bucks on a game i understand wanting to cut costs but it's cardboard Mm -hmm. i'll get off my soapbox now and let someone else talk the art is also (laughs) better in this version the art is much better it's really nice it's beautiful oh and they um there's little silicone rings of the six different colors that go on the bottom of your standee so that you know who everyone is, which is a really good idea. And in are you likely edition, keeping, 
Are you likely keeping both because one's a little more oh, yeah. crazy and Yeah, they I don't think it replaces second edition at all. Oh, okay. And in second edition they had little coffins that marked your stats. Oh yeah. And in third edition They clipped they onto the side of your cards. cardboard player thing and they fell off all the time. They never stayed. Mine weren't even close to trying to stay. Yeah. And in this one, it's little swords that clip on much better. A little more annoying to move, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Oh, cool. Speaking of perfect, we also play. Why don't we go somewhere perfect. else first so I don't keep talking the whole podcast? I love your voice, though. Okay, well, I'll jump in here. And we also played, after those two betrayal games, Daryl, Meej, and I played Innovation, which was Daryl's Daryl's inaugural Innovation game. And And what a game it was. I think he really liked it. It was really fun and like dead even, pretty much the whole game, I think. I think I was a little behind, but Daryl and Meej were constantly battling for, for first place. And then Meej draws the vision card. On a turn, he could have won. Instead, he chose to go story route. And he... Every time. uh, He uh, had Fission melded already and then did the dogma action, which makes everybody else draw a card off of a certain stack. And if you draw a red card out of the five possible colors, every card in your hand, every card in your score pile, and every card on the table get wiped. And then everybody has to start again from whatever cards are left in the draw piles. And it's so funny. Mage ended up winning anyway. It was hilarious. It wasn't a big deal. I won by default because we ran out of cards. We ran out of cards and someone had to draw a card that they couldn't. And then what was the... Normally you go by achievements and whoever gets five achievements first in a three-player game wins. Yeah, but because there were no... Daryl had to draw a a number eight or something, and there were no eight, nine, or tens. And the rules explicitly say if you cannot draw, the game ends, and there's a scoring condition that I won. Right. I think it's how much score you have at that point. Yeah. The score that you have. Because the achievements after a nuclear fission don't matter anymore. Like yeah, how well you did in the prehistory era doesn't matter anymore because it doesn't make any difference. The whole planet. What I found fun about it, too, was we had so much built up in our engines. Like, we had so many Mm. cards in front of us. I had a stack that was like 10 cards splayed up, which is crazy. And I was thinking about it. Any game we would have played that Hanno had been involved, it would have ended like four turns earlier. Oh, yeah. Which isn't a slight on anyone. It's just saying, like, it's so interesting seeing how different players play games together. And I think because it was Daryl's first game and it was me and you, Matt, we just went crazy and it was awesome. <laughs> we're just doing all the fun things that I, I feel like if people want to play to be very competitive, that you have to find Meej and I on the right night to be able to do that. Because some yeah, nights are just like, okay, let's just have fun and be crazy with this it game. It probably won't happen if I'm there. Yeah. It might happen if I'm there. I can, yeah, I can be zany, Depends on but the I game. Can also be overly competitive, yeah, for sure. 
Speaking of games where I'm overly competitive, I've now played Ark Nova five times. And I think that's enough. And I know I said that after my first time, but I think five times is enough. (laughs) I we played it I think I talked about it last time, but I played it one more time after that with just Hannah because I wanted to see how it plays two player. It is way faster for sure. But it's still kind of meh. I, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan. So I think that's it for me and Ark Nova. I'm breaking up with you. Is so in like hindsight, is this still primarily because of the numbers thing? No. The scoring? No. Yeah. No. I okay. think my biggest problem with the game, I don't know why it's this way in this game and not in others like Terraforming Mars. I have a huge complex maybe of falling behind (laughs) which is super weird like i look at other people's boards in arc nova and i feel so far behind even though in the two-player game we had i had like three cards three action cards flipped before hannah had one and she was definitely behind in the for the first half of the game at least it seemed and i felt really good but then all of a sudden she started flipping cards and we were probably equal and i felt behind because I was so far ahead in the beginning. I don't I don't know. I don't I don't get it. She ended up winning. Love you, Hannah. But I don't love you, Ark Nova. That's, so that's one that you own, own, right? No, Daryl owns it. I've just borrowed oh, okay. it oh, okay. enough times. Adam, what have you been up to? Talking um, point. Talking point. Talking point. So I've <laughs> We're uh, me and my brother-in-law are still continuing Gloomhaven, and we have fit, fitted, yes. fitted, fat, thoughted in fit? another session of Gloomhaven. I believe it's Fote. Uh So I'm now officially farther than I've ever been in this game, which is uh, nice to not be doing the same three missions over and over. But <laughs> uh, it's going well. We're we're doing well. We're playing on a pretty easy setting because we mostly just want to see the stuff. Yep, um, I totally get that. Playing on easy, I can't fathom how people play on like hard or even whatever is above hard because it seems it's hard. It seems <laughs> it seems impossible. Like I don't, I don't know yeah. what we're we played doing on normal right wrong. now. Yeah, we did normal the whole time. Although yeah, so some we're all missions, like easy, were, I think some missions were just straight up hard. Whether it's the character composition, maybe we're low level. Or whatever it is, some missions, if we fail the mission, we usually went back and did it on easy. And then if we beat it, we just moved on and went back to normal. Would you still take the easy, like XP and all that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. I yeah, so. I don't know. Like, yeah. we're, we're playing with um, the Mind Thief and the Craig Hart. And we're doing well, but we're playing on easy. And it's still tough, like... We get we get down mm-hmm. to near exhaust, exhaustion pretty much every single time. I think most missions you that would be ideal. Like you wouldn't want it to be like too crazy easy where you have all your cards left. No, I agree. But if that's what we're having having happen on easy, then I don't understand how it's happening for someone on hard. But anyways, I'm sure we're just not playing efficiently. But either way, it's fun. Yeah, but you've only played a couple sessions. 
Sure. True. So yeah, I, think I guess as you I guess I'm expecting it to get harder. Uh, okay. It gets harder, but you get a lot better, and your cards get better. Yeah. There are definitely points where you are better than the game, and then all of a sudden you yeah. hit like uh, there's the game levels up as you level up, but you leapfrog each other. I forget exactly how that works, but you'll get more powerful than the game. And then all of a sudden you hit a certain point and it trips the game to increase as well. It's because the monsters don't level up at the same time as you. Right. Because there's an equation that you use to figure out how, how, what level you play at. Yeah. So there's like an average of all the players levels and then, yeah, some equation to that. And then that determines the monster level. Right. So then that, you level up to a certain point and you get past the monsters and then all of a sudden you level up too far and then the monsters level up again. So, but I don't know. We, we also, when me, Matt, and Hannah played, if we lost a scenario, we would often bump it down a difficulty. For sure. And yeah. every once in a while, we would slightly cheat just to win. Like, if we needed one more turn and we'd played it three times, it's like, okay, this is a campaign game. We all agree on this. Like, whatever. Absolutely. I don't want to play the same mission three times. If I played it twice, you almost did it, then, yeah, we're done. Let's just move on. That's We also added a couple house rules. Like, the monsters pick up the money. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Especially with oozes. So, so we played where, you know how, you know how when you stop, you automatically pick up coins at the end of your turn if you're standing on them? Yeah. We played it where the monsters did that as well. And so when you killed them, they dropped all the coins that they picked up and it was amazing. Oh, nice. (laughs) Because I think the original rule is they only drop one or whatever. Yeah. But no. Oozes or some of the, I forget exactly what, but like. Where they had like like three actions. Yeah, they were picking up like eight coins and then you can never it get anything. So we thought, well, it's not like they go to the <laughs> bank, deposit this money, and then come back and are still part of your mission. They got to have it on them. So oh, do they dissolve? Cool. Yeah, right. Maybe on a news world. Right. <laughs> that was great. So if we can just do a quick aside. We got a Frosthaven update email. Which oh, exciting. Is a sequel to Gloomhaven. And it's supposed to be like one and a half times the size in every way. And they're wow. saying Frosthaven by Christmas. So that's Ooh. the hope. Unless oh, something big happens. That is one and hope. a half times. That is enormous. Yeah, it's going to be big. I'm really excited. Like, Gloomhaven is already huge. Mm-hmm. Too big, some would say. I'm looking at it right yep. now and my bookshelf is like bending under the weight of that <laughs> game on the top shelf. Yeah. One of the funny parts is you could, uh, I think when you kickstarted it, you could also back it for a carrying case and it comes with its own backpack that it fits in there. And I'm like, when I get that cinder block home and put it on the floor, I am not ever moving it again. (laughs) I don't know when you buy a whole backpack for it. Uh, Build it into the house. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it's a footing now right what else have you played uh, apart from that and uh picture perfect which has been mentioned already 
Uh, really, the only other thing that's kind of related is the uh, prep for our D&D campaign, which is starting soon oh. with you fine folks and my wife. Oh, so I'm going to shoot lasers at everyone. I'm so excited. <laughs> I don't know if I should mention I this here, but I might just do it anyways because, uh, you know, why not just save the gold? But there is actually a level of horror to this. And oh, yuck. I don't know. We, we may have to talk about it, but it's definitely in there to some degree. But we will find on out. Well, yeah, it sounds like a good thing. Back on, I'll be we might like have to have a new section of the podcast that keeps the campaign update in there. Be funny. My cleric is a follower of Eldath, which is the goddess of peace. I may end up being a pacifist, and I'm so excited for it. <laughs> My druid studies the constellations and shoots lasers at people, and he's an right. elephant man. It's Perfect. Amazing. Then you can hit the people so I don't have to. Yeah, I will. Yeah, this, well. uh, this is the Rhyme of the job. Frost Maiden campaign, which is. A little more survivally, it's a little more sandboxy. Um, Matt, you put in the chat you were going to be the beefy frontliner. Oh, I am. So if you I'm don't, not, we're going to die. I'm just not going to hit anybody. <laughs> then we're all going to die. Front line. No, no. Shield of Faith. I'm a, a life domain cleric, so I can wear Because me and Jess are both range. That's fine. I'll be right up front. And so if you don't hit things, you're gonna die. You'll no. all be missing in the snow in the snowfall. <laughs> I'll shield of faith and sanctuary. I'll sanctuary Jess and then shield of faith myself for a plus two AC. I'll be fine. And I'll stand right sure. in the front. Yep. Sure. And I've got healing spells. <laughs> I'll sing myself sure. a healing word. And it's I get like- extra healing bonus. Because I'm a life domain. It's going to be great. So with you guys not dying and them not dying, it's just going to be like an unstoppable force meeting in a movable object kind of scenario where <laughs> the very, fir- the very first fight's Matt never going to end. Spells. Yeah, right. The best part will be like, we'll play this campaign until that happens, and then we'll just start a new campaign, and they'll walk by our characters from the last campaign still just right. sitting there. <laughs> oh no, Maybe I'll the- run. Oh, and find new I'll, friends. I'm just going to sit there. <laughs> Maybe the monster gets so bored he just leaves. Oh, that would be anyway. funny. Anyway. defeated another monster. <laughs> <laughs> so Picture right, Perfect, Mage, eh? That's all I got for now. I, I was just going to say, all right, Mage, why don't you tell us about Picture Perfect? Okay, so get your, get your zany hats on. This game is Bloop. very zany. Okay, so... First of all, all of us, I think me for sure, had the wrong impression when I bought this game of what it was going to be. And I was so excited when I opened the box and found out what it was actually going to be because <laughs> it is good. Okay, so I don't even know where to start with this. So in Picture Perfect, the theme of the game is that 14 people have just had a dinner party and you are a photographer trying to capture a moment after the dinner of their lovely evening. The twist is that all these people are posh, rich, snooty, opinionated bums (laughs) who you have to try to appease. And you and your opponents are all photographers 
and you trade information with each other to try to make everybody happy. So each player gets a set of 14 standees, which are people and a whole bunch of little decorations like a spilled wine and a candlestick and a pot of (laughs) stew and all kinds of stuff. The decorations don't matter as much for the one mode. They're more for the variant, which we'll get to at the end. So basically what you have is a little player screen that covers your board. You have a rectangle piece of cardboard and a little picnic table that you build or like a dining table that goes on the rectangle piece of cardboard and around it now on the cardboard are all little squares where people can stand and it's a little 3d Um, table yeah it's a little 3d table all your decorations go on it so you can take a nice picture at the end and the rules say you have to take a picture with your mobile phone um just it's important and it actually came into play in our one game which surprised me so also with the game are these nice envelopes and by the way the quality of this game all the components is really nice Um, there's these envelopes and each corresponds with one of the standees. All the players have the exact same group of people. Um, and you have a deck of cards that are all different preferences of where someone might want to stand in the picture. So it'll say in general, what side of the table they want to stand on. If they want to stand away from the table behind the table, but it could also be things like, I want to stand next to this person. I don't want to be next to a man. I don't want this person being seen. Um, that kind of thing. And so what you're going to do at the beginning of the game is shuffle that deck and put three of these preference cards into each envelope. Once the envelopes are stuffed, you pass them out to each player. So you deal them and then there will be a couple extra in the middle. Um, So now the game begins and there's two phases to each round. So in phase one, you can take one of your envelopes, you can pull out the three preference cards, you can look at them and place uh, your standees accordingly. So the lady in the blue dress wants to be on the left side of the table, so I'm going to put her somewhere on the left side of the table. I put all her cards back in, and I take the cards out of the next envelope and say it's the dog. The dog wants to stand in the back, but doesn't want the lady in the yellow dress to be seen. So I'm going to put the dog in the back, but... I don't actually know where the lady in the yellow dress wants to be seen. And this is where one of the cool parts of the game comes in. You can put the standees in your player area whenever you want. And until the final round of the game, they don't have to be in any specific order. So what I was doing in my play, for example, was taking someone like that, where I knew she didn't want to be seen, but I didn't know where she wanted it to be. Put her on the side of the board, but I put her backwards so that I knew that she didn't want to be seen, but I hadn't seen her preferences yet. So you can do different things like that. I know my one friend was putting them on their sides, pointing in the direction of the table they wanted to be in, that kind of thing. So that's the first phase. The second phase is in the base game, it's called the exchange round. So there's a deck of six cards. You draw the first one. And it'll say it'll be a different type of exchange. So there's all kinds of different exchanges and they basically dictate where the envelopes you have in your possession go. So the one might be take one random envelope and pass it to the player on your left. Take one random envelope, pass it to the player on your right. All all the players will do this. And now you have new envelopes and you go back to 
you go to the next round and start phase one and place your new people on the board and reshuffle things. At the end of the game, you're going to score based on how many preferences you got right. So if you got three preferences right in an envelope, you get six points. If you got two preferences right, I think you get three points. And if you got one preference right, you get one point. Yeah. If the person is on the board, but you got no preferences right, you get negative three points. The interesting thing is you don't have to put everyone on the board. If you have the dog and you never got his envelope, you can just leave him off to the side and you will not lose points or gain points for him because he's not in the picture. Is a really interesting thing. Um, he, so that's I the attempted base to game. gamble all the ones I didn't see and just put everything on the board <laughs> yeah. and it didn't work out yeah. well. You kind of have to. like It just feels right <laughs> to have them all yeah. in there. Um, I think I had two people not on the board in our games. So the only... So there's one... Um, alternate rule set that we used with the game with um, Matt, Adam, and Hannah, and myself. We use the auction variant. So instead of the exchange cards, you use auction cards, and you use the decorations as money to buy the envelopes from each other. So like it's you're buying the information on the people instead of just the game dictating where to exchange it. So it would be something like a hidden auction where Matt picks one of the cards he wants to put up for auction. Say he puts up the man in the yellow suit. I really want him, so I'm going to try to buy him with four decorations. So I put four decorations in my hand. Adam, say, puts a couple that I don't know how many. Hannah puts a couple. I don't know how many. And we all reveal how many we did at once. Whoever bet or offered the most gives those decorations to Matt and takes the envelope of the man with the yellow suit. Um. This got really funny because like one of the strategies I did was I didn't allow anyone to see the little boy in the blue suit the entire (laughs) game because we were auctioning. So I could just choose not to let them see him, which was really funny. Yeah. And then giving people the spilled wine because that was the worst decoration. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so we collectively decided spilled wine was the worst decoration, so we tried to get rid of it as much as possible. You also get points. You get like one point for every three decorations you have at the end of the game. So, all in all, I think this game is great. I'm The only thing is I'm a little worried about its replayability, but... So with you guys, I played with the auction rules, and that felt a little long and a little mm-hmm. too gritty for what it was. But then yeah. I played with my friends, Joel, Brent, and Franca, and we played with just the normal exchange cards. And it was much sillier and much quicker. And I think it shines better with the exchange cards, interestingly enough, like a little lighter. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, you want it to be on the silly side. Right. I felt like the auction variant made it feel like um, that you were injecting modern art that board mm. game into mm-hmm. picture perfect because there for sale so many, yeah well there are different types of auctions yeah i enjoyed it but yeah i think the auction made it too long yeah i'd like to play it with you guys with the just the exchange cards let's um, do it oh the one thing i didn't mention which i think is important is 
one of the people in the picture is just a giant potted plant. <laughs> and it's amazing that the potted that plant has preferences. I was yeah. so happy that I got and dealt that one. I think one of the strengths of this game is it makes fun of itself because like in the rules, it encourages you to make up backstories and names for all the different people. Oh, so yeah. like when we were playing, we had like the old granny and the ugly girl and like we had all <laughs> these different backstories that we just yeah. created like inside jokes and it was awesome. Adam would name them as he put them up for auction. Who wants Clayton? That was great. <laughs> Clayton. Yeah. Odie toity Clayton. <laughs> Did you the love mechanic it, Adam? that stood out? Yeah, I did. I did enjoy it, and I think it is fairly replayable. Um, the mechanic that stood out the most to me was actually like the memory aspect, where mm-hmm. you'd you'd have someone on your on your floor, and uh, you had at one point known their preferences. They didn't want to be here. They wanted to be in front. They didn't want to be seen or whatever. And then after that envelope's gone. Uh, like I, I play memory with my kids fairly often and it felt exactly the same where that's now gone. And mm-hmm. I've had to remember, uh, what did she want again? I can't, <laughs> can I move her yeah. to do this? No, I can't do that. Can I? And like that, that to me anyways, that's what stood out the most as the thing that I was trying to do was, uh, remember all the details for each person because I have this display in front of me and I need to know what I can move and what I can't move. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think that's where the backstory stuff that you're supposed to do was helpful for me, like trying to remember that wheelchair guy was in a secret love with the yellow dress lady. So he wanted to stand behind (laughs) her, but didn't want her to be seen and like little things like that. But the one thing I forgot to say, which is really interesting, is sometimes the preference cards they will contradict each other within an envelope because it's randomly dealt. So the man in the wheelchair might be want to be on the left side and the right side, which it adds a really cool little, okay, I have to try to mitigate this, but also can I use it in an advantageous way to be next to someone he wants to be beside, right? Like I'm not going to get full points for him anyways. So how do I mitigate that? I'm losing those points, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, the one other cool thing I thought made it super interesting was everybody gets a VIP card and at oh, yeah. any point on their turn, they can put the VIP card into one of their envelopes and that will double the point value that you get for that character that everybody gets for that character at the end of the game. Right. And didn't you and Hannah both put your VIP in one envelope? So it was we worth did. like triple points, which was hilarious. Yeah. It was so good. So, like, we all got, like, 18 points for him, <laughs> and Adam <Yep>. didn't. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> Hannah blew us out of the water that game as well. Did she? But yeah. our, our scores are very close, the three of us. That's yeah, usually how I it just, goes Now I just I want to pull it up. <laughs> that is how it usually goes. Yeah. I win once in a while, which is fun. Yeah, so That's Hannah got 77. Hannah got yeah. 77, Matt got 45, I got 42, and Adam got 40. So real close, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the All other right. games that I played this week, or these weeks, well, we got I got Hannah The Crew, Mission Deep Sea, which is the sequel to The Crew, something, something, Outer Space. 
and we played four missions. And it uh, is... quest for Planet Nine. Yeah, that's the one. It is different, and I like it. We also finished the space base, the emergence of Shy Pluto. It took us four games to play, but I often push the story as opposed to trying to win because that's how I play games. And it was fun. So I think we talked last time about doing a spoiler-filled episode. And I think oh, yeah, I want to try to campaign games we've played. Yeah, or just do a, a Matt only or a Matt and Hannah twenty-minute yeah. filler episode randomly, or maybe I'll fun. try to get some other people that have done it too. I don't know if any of you have done it. Let me know. Maybe we'll chat about it on the show or something. And by any of you, he means our listeners. Yep, I do mean our listeners. So email us and then give me your phone number and then we'll chat. I would love to hear your thoughts on it too. Even if you don't want to do an episode or something, you just want to tell us what you thought of any of these games, let us know. Yeah, no, that'd be great. We would love for you guys to give us your thoughts on any of the games we discuss and we can use it in the show to prove to Adam that chess is not not asymmetrical. Are the words I'm trying to say? <laughs> Everyone knows right. you're wrong. Everyone okay, knows we it. have like 17 minutes now to discuss our main topic. <laughs> Unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about for your weeks. No, nope, let's move on. Our main topic of the week is contract fulfillment and board game geek description is players fulfill contracts to earn rewards and that is as far as i want to take that so i had i had thought of two games immediately sprang to mind and the first one is splendor and this is probably as simple as you can get for contract Did we fulfillment quickly define contract in case we need to yeah you did. got it Players fulfill contracts to earn rewards. It seems very similar to set collection too, doesn't it, in a lot of ways? No. Uh, Minimally, maybe. In the fact that you need to do both. That was a very quick, harsh no, but... (laughs) I saw a lot of people online saying, making that comparison, and I, I... when I was looking up games to try to like inspire myself for this, I, I saw a lot of games where I'm like, I don't get how that's a contract game, and I still don't totally get it unless I really see to me play with the definition. But right, like this is where I find it hard to separate a theme and a mechanic because a contract fulfillment almost has to be integrated into the theme for it to feel like a contract fulfillment. Right, like you could argue that a lot of things are contracts, but if it's presented as set collection, you're not going to think of it as a contract. I I don't start talking about the theme again. I'm going to go way down a rabbit hole, so I'm going to stay off that one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that contract fulfillment and set collection are the same because you can have both in the same game. 
and they're yep. they're wild. I don't different. think they're the same either. I just can see how, from a purely mechanical nitty gritty point of view, you could equate them to some degree. So, I guess I'll just jump in quickly. The, the, the first one I thought of because I'm playing it right now uh, is literally the contracts that you get uh, in Gloomhaven. Uh, you get a contract for your character, or let me know if you, if you disagree, I guess, but uh, you have the contracts for when your character resigns, and you have the contracts for each specific dungeon, and you have to fulfill your contract to get the rewards, right? Um, See, this is interesting and- because... That is a contract by the rules of the game, but in my mind, I don't consider it the contract mechanic. Like, this is where it gets weird, because I agree with you that they're contracts, but that's not how I thought about this topic at all. Right. I I would also agree that they, they are. Right, so then me thinking about it that way, like, the contract, I have a contract to, um, quite literally, collect a bunch of things. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. a set collection, alert, alert. right? Like I need to, you know, get the whole set, so to speak. So right. th- there's a similarity there. They're not the same, but yeah. Yeah, I would agree, but I don't think the point of the game is to fulfill those contracts. Nope, and I think sure. that's the target right. of what we were trying to do with this But thing? to go off of Adam's point, so I put... Sorry, Matt, you had started talking and we just railroaded right over you. Um, That's fine. Stardew Valley, the board game. (laughs) The whole point of the game is to fulfill bundles and fulfill grandpa's goals. And a couple of the bundles are things like catch one of each type of fish. That is set collection, but it is also a contract because it's an overarching contract that you fulfill, that you deliver you literally deliver it to the town center to beat the game. And so to Adam's point, I can see where those things are equated in something like that. I don't know. Is that kind of what you were thinking, Adam? Or is Matt going to take over with his hand? Yes, Matt. (laughs) Matt Orwell has something to say. So (laughs) I I would disagree that the Stardew Valley thing is set collection because the I, I think set collection needs to have the fact that you have two or three or four uh, an increase an exponential increase maybe a points so if you have one of the set you get one point if you have two maybe you get three if you have three you get six and then if you have all four you get 12 or something like a crazy exponential increase that's one way of doing set collection right but with the contract that you're talking about and i agree that stardew valley is a co-op co-op contracting fulfillment game you you have to get all of the set in order to get any points you know like in order to fulfill it in a game like phase 10 which i hate by the way but is straight up a set (laughs) collection game you have to get the entire set to get the points as well and I don't think you could argue that that's not a set collection game. Hmm. Maybe you could. But it's definitely, you have to get the full set to go to the next phase. I have not played that game, so I don't really okay. know. But that, that's the core mechanic, that you have to get, each phase has a different set that you're going for, set or run or whatever. 
like different version variations of, sure. but you have Fulfilling to fulfill up. that set to right. get to the next phase. It has nothing to do with exponential points. <laughs> then I would say it's not a set collection game. But it is. Mm, I think you've right just only in. played set collection games that have the exponential like, point yeah. thing. Then, yeah. I If you see it that way, then every contract game is a set collection game as well. But I disagree I find with that, my other one, Viticulture, which is not set collection at all. Ooh, lay it on us. Okay, so in Viticulture, you're growing grapes, and then you harvest those grapes and you age those grapes to fulfill contracts, which will be like a red wine or a sparkling red wine or whatever. Um, but it's not set collection. It's it's producing grapes, aging grapes, selling grapes. There's no sets involved. It's worker placement. So but you're fulfilling the contracts. Each contract is one thing. Each contract is, yeah, a certain value of wine that you're and type of wine that you have to sell. So it's a set of one. No, now you're just now you're just <laughs> reaching for your that doesn't even make sense at all. A set necessitates multiple things. So no, if that's we can, not true mathematically. A set of one is totally a thing. Yeah, we're not talking no. about math. We're talking about board games. <laughs> yeah, board games don't equal math. There's no math in board they games. Do not. <laughs> I no. would love to. So when I thought about uh, contract fulfillment, I thought of Splendor and Century Spice Road. And I think these two are like very basic engine building towards a contract fulfillment. So in Splendor, there are like five different colors of gems, rubies, diamonds, sapphires, whatever. And on your turn, oh, I wrote this all down so that I wouldn't forget it. So smart. And I lost it. Oh, man. On the show notes. Be gone. I know. I don't know where the show notes went. It's like I've never done this before in my life. I must have closed it. It's your first day. Yeah. So on your turn, you can do four things. You can take three different types of gems from the stack, and there's a limited supply of each. Or you can take two of the same color gem. Or then there's three rows, kind of like in Space Space. There are three tiers of cards, one tier one, two, and three. And you can spend the gems that you that you got on other turns. So let's say a card requires me to spend two rubies and a diamond. Then you can take that card and put it in front of you and it will give you a permanent of one of the gems. So maybe it gives you a permanent sapphire. So then when you are trying to fulfill the contract or buy a different card, if it requires a sapphire, you've got that card that already takes that need away. But... You got to build up to buy tier one cards and then those cards will help you more easily buy tier two and then tier three. The whole contract fulfillment, I think, comes in at the very end with the top row of nobles that need, let's say, three sapphires, three diamonds, three emeralds and I don't know, one ruby. So it's quite a big contract to fulfill for this noble, but he's worth maybe, I don't know, I don't know what the point discrepancies are but maybe he's worth 10 points or whatever 
So you got to build up your engine to be able to get more and more of these cards that will allow you to have permanent jewels. And then by the end, hopefully, it's kind of a race. Hopefully you get to fulfill that contract before anybody else can get there. Right. Have you guys played Splendor? No. Once like six years ago. Yeah, it's a 2014 game, I think. And, and I did it's not really good. love it. Yeah. It's been on my list for a long time because it's apparently a really good two-player game, but I've never... Yeah. I agree with everything you've said, if it was accurate. <laughs> yeah, if that's helpful. I'm pretty sure it was so, accurate. Yeah. Everything you're saying and, like sounds like it would have... There was two other games that I saw on the list that I kind of shrugged my eyebrows at when I saw it. And Scythe was on there, and the game that you and I <laughs> played, Matt, Raiders... <laughs> Raiders of the North Sea was also on there. And so I it's kind of the same thing as what you're saying, where it's you have an engine building thing going on. And for Scythe, I guess they're talking about like what when you upgrade your engine, you have to have completed the requirements in order to move the engine piece or to move your little um, the four circles that you have. I don't think then, so. I think they're referring to the achievements at the top of the board. I think that as well. Where you have to upgrade all four of your mechs to get an achievement star. Or you have to do a battle. And they're basically saying, oh, it's a contract because you have to pay certain things for it. It's like, no, that's not what a contract is. Okay, but yeah, earlier in the game is, where, you have, where you have the engine pieces and you're paying... Such a stretch. The requirements to, I don't know, is it is it impossible that that's what they're talking about? Because that also applies to no. Raiders, and they're both on the contracts list. You could be right. I just, as always, disagree with the internet at large. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to... Because they always seem to be wrong. But this is this is kind of what I meant with Scythe. Like, and we've said this before: games can include a ton of contracts, but there are ton of mechanics. Freudian slip, right there. But there is <laughs> no way Scythe is considered a contract fulfillment game, right? Like when we talk about these mechanics, we're kind of thinking: okay, what is the main mechanic? Not what is this tiny little side mechanic that no one pays attention to? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, when we're talking about it for from like a mechanic standpoint as a theme for our podcast, I'm, I was hoping that we would go to the main mechanic of this game is contract yeah. fulfillment. But, I mean, the, but that's add. what I mean. Like you could argue almost, you could argue a lot of games have a lot of mechanics that, yeah, technically, but right. not really. Kind of. Is that what the game is about? Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's where I guess I was going what I'm getting theme. at. Maybe though, it's not so like, much theme as direction. I get what I was trying to get at before. Sort of was. I, I don't think I've had it before where I looked at a list and for the vast majority of games I was kind of confused. And I'm wondering if there's something about this particular mechanic that maybe makes it a little more modular and a little more, uh, you can remove it and have a smaller effect than other mechanics. Because like in the case of Gloomhaven, like it is just something extra you're doing. And I think that's probably the case of a lot of contract games where in very few cases, it's the main point. Like the contracts, like just kind of like the way I even think about it, 
for why it exists is to give you another thing to do in addition to what you're already doing. So like looking at this huge list, like I think that applies to the vast majority of them. And I'm wondering if that's just because of what the mechanic is. Like it's just kind of inherent to to what it's what it's doing as a mechanic that that's the case. I don't know. But I also think you have to remember that Board Game Geek is people putting things on these threads are a very specific type of gamer who may not play all of the games. Like they may not, we play a very widespread of games, I think, compared to other game groups like Picture Perfect to Betrayal to Stevenson's Rocket to Gloomhaven. Like it's a very wide range of complexity and depth. Whereas I think a lot of people on Board Game Geek, their groups might be a little more, their groups might enjoy playing more focused um, types of games, which is totally fine. But that also skews discussions, I think, just like mm-hmm. it skews the complexity ratings. They've got Sagrada on this list. Got Wingspan, See, that's just, Everdell, Ticket to Ride. They're... I think they're equating contracts to Arcs. achievements, which I don't think is the same thing. I can't, I don't know how to spec like elaborate on that, but it's not the same thing. Is the contract in Sagrada winning the game? <laughs> yes, technically. That's what These I mean. It, I see that as an achievement. These take the form of special goals requiring coordination and planning beyond simply being first past the post. These right, can so be either anything. Public, where all players compete to be the first to complete them, or private, where only the owning player may fulfill them. That's any goal. That's anything. That's winning. <laughs> That's winning a game is a contract. Ooh, maybe they're talking about the social contract. Oh no. That you enter into when you sit down at a table to play a game. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure we want that to get was a into rousing that. discussion. <laughs> I think if you want to get a pretty pure contract game, get Splendor or Century Spice Road. I don't think you Gardu go wrong or Viticulture. If you want a, a little more complicated, definitely go Viticulture is good. Co-op Stardew. But, yeah. Maybe next week we'll have to talk about set collection. I'm pretty sure we've done that already. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, show. Episode three. (laughs) All right. Well, do we have any emails this week? We don't. We do not. Lame. Uh, Nope. All right. Well... Get on Greg that, told folks. me in person to expect some, um, I think he said livid emails or, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, he didn't say that, <laughs> <laughs> but no, he didn't do anything yet. So, okay. Well, Greg, you're our only listener. Tell us what you're thinking. <laughs> this episode, along with all our episodes, will come out on this Friday and then not the Friday after that but the Friday after that and then in every other Friday hopefully that was the most confusing way to say that the rest of our lives every other Friday 
but not every other Friday. You can expect an episode of the Turn Turtles. Email so is us. Is that by Fridays? By. F- yes. <laughs> semi Fridays. Or semi Friday. Not twice every Friday. Email us at theturnturtles at gmail.com. And then that's it. We don't do Twitter or Instagram. <laughs> I do Facebook sometimes. And actually, I just bought uh, a. Adam monitors the Twitter. Yeah, Adam does Twitter. But I just bought a laser engraver, so I'm going to throw some pictures up on the Facebook account, and then maybe I'll link my Instagram account from there as well. I made a a really cool oak dice rolling tray, but it's also like a combo dice storing tray. And I laser engraved roll for initiative on it, and I think it's phenomenal. So I'm going to throw that up on the Facebook page. Pretty cool. But thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. The Turn Turtles were here. That's it for now. Thanks for tuning in.